morning, everybody. Had a nice rainstorm going on out there. Fresh air for a change. Kind of nice. <laughs> Hallelujah. So this morning, we're going to be reading from 1 John 5. Uh, Jackie will be teaching on verses 1 through 21. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and that is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. And I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Say a prayer. Lord God, I just thank you for this time. This church can come together and worship you, Lord. Uh, beautiful morning we got in front of us. Lord, I just pray for Jackie this morning. I pray for his teaching, and I pray that those words would uh, just hold true in our hearts. 
and I ask for your protection on the rest of the week as we go out in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I love the rain. And, sorry, I love winter. And after this summer, I'm like, uh, bring it. <laughs> I'm so tired of being hot. I, uh, I grew up in the deserts of California. I'm a born and bred desert rat. So I've been in hot weather. Uh, I used to work on pave, paving crews that did streets in Palm Springs. So it would be 125 out, and we're laying pavement. So it was much hotter than that where we were working. And when the Lord saw fit to call me to Idaho, I left that behind. And this summer uh, brought back all the bad memories of that. It was a hot summer. It's a good summer, but it's a hot summer. So I enjoy today. So I've, I've got several questions people ask me. Jackie, you rode your bike. Are you not aware it's raining? Yes. But I love the rain. I don't mind. It's just water. It don't hurt you. And uh, it just, uh, it keeps me from going fast. So you should be thankful because <laughs> if you go fast in the rain, it feels like somebody's shooting you with a shotgun in the face. So we try not to do that. This morning, as we look at 1 John chapter 5, we're going to wrap up 1 John. Next week, we'll be in 2 John, and I'm hoping the week after that, we'll be in 3 John, so we'll see. But as we work our way through, again, let's ground ourselves in context. The key to everything we need is the word of life. The word of life is Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. He's the key, right? He unlocks everything in the Christian life. In fact, it's impossible to be a Christian without him. So we have the word of life. But 1 John tells us we as believers have a problem. Our problem is sin, and sin hinders us. But the Lord gave us a solution to that problem, didn't he? He said, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he, he tells us how to overcome that which hinders. That's going to matter today as we take a look at the scripture before us. And then he's going, to, he's going to cycle through two ideas. One, don't be deceived. Two, love your brother. One, don't be deceived. Two, love your brother. And he keeps, why do you think he keeps repeating it? Because we're good at those two things? No. In fact, the, the history tells us that everywhere John went, he taught the same message. So people stopped booking him. <coughs> he would come. He, he settled ultimately in Ephesus. Ephesus is where he's going to die. Uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, will be with him there. That's where her uh, grave is as well. And as he would come before the church in Ephesus, he would say, My little children, love one another. Because we have a hard time doing that. A lot of other things in life will get in the way. A lot of other struggles will hinder us from that. And so we need to hear the echo. The second thing he tells us, don't be deceived. In 1 John chapter 2, he said that there were false teachers in their midst 
that left from among them. And he says, they left, don't worry about them. They were never of us. Now there are those, and you guys can come on a Monday there to pastor's coffee and argue with me. There are those who would say that that's a statement across the board for anybody who, who walks away from Christianity, you know, don't worry about them. If they left us, they were never of us. But I think John specifically is talking about leadership in his church that left, that had false teaching, heretics. They didn't leave for something else. They left because of heretical teaching, John perhaps being the one who put them out. And he tells the people, look, they were never of you. The Bible tells us that in deception there will be wolves in sheep's clothes. Now, just let, let's also settle on this. You're not good at seeing them. You're not. We as sheep always fall for the wolf. It's like Wiley Coyote. Only we're Wiley. We're always getting trampled by the roadrunner. Now, you think you know. Sure, you think you know. And sometimes you may be right, which will emphasize our thinking that we know there's one way to to spot a wolf well there's a couple ways one is what he eats most of the time he's eating sheep the other thing is the word of god the word of god tells us who the wolves are if someone makes you mad that doesn't make them a wolf if someone says something you don't like, that doesn't make them a wolf. Might make them a mean sheep. I've seen those before. But it does not make them a wolf. So John says, make sure you love one another and watch out. Be careful. Hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to the word of God. And if something comes that is outside of that, we only color in the lines. Everything outside the lines, we try to stay away from. What does the word of God teach? Where is he calling us? Can we know? Let's stand there in that place. And so these men came along teaching something else, left the church there in Ephesus, and it caused a ruckus. And in the ruckus that was going on, John writes these words to those people. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know you have eternal life. So whatever was going on with these false teachers, and he doesn't tell us and we don't know, whatever was going on was eroding at the core of, of people's security in their walk with Christ. So John says, listen, this letter, I'm writing this epistle to you so that you can know, for those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, this, in case you don't know, that's Jesus Christ. Yeah, the Messiah, our King. He says, those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so you can know, you have eternal life so this letter is granted for those who 
believe. Would not make sense to write a church epistle to unbelievers, would it? Some believers aren't reading it. Who reads the Bible? Believers. So he's writing to believers. He says, I want you to know that you may have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. So he's talking about our confidence in Christ. And he's going to talk about exactly what Phil was, was describing up here. And that is a confidence in prayer. We have, we are guilty of, especially in Calvary Chapel circles, we are guilty of having a, what's the right word? A depressing eschatology. Now you might say, well, Jackie, what do you mean depressing eschatology? Jesus come back, you're going to get us. Yes. But until Jesus comes, what happens? We lose. Well, that's what we say, right? We lose and we lose and we lose and things wax worse and worse and worse. And the toilet bowl is, we're circling the drain. And then right before we go under for the last time, Jesus shows up and he's going to save us. Yeah? And that tends to be how we look at our world, which is why very few in Calvary Chapel circles get involved in the culture around them. So if we isolate from all of that, you have no voice in it. If we say there's nothing I can do, it's only going to get worse. We are neglecting our confidence in Christ. Do you know Jesus coming back tomorrow? Maybe. The day after that? Maybe. And if he is, you think you'd pray less? If you know Jesus Christ is coming back, it's interesting because I really like this, this crazy sensation that was at least a couple of years ago. Jordan Peterson, uh, who's a psychologist, I, I don't think he's a believer. He talks about God, but not like I would. And... Um, but he has an interview where people ask him, how come you're not a Christian? And he basically says, because I look at the lives of Christians and I don't think any of them really believe it. Because if they did, something would be different. You see, we have slid into in the church in America um, I'm sure none of you guys have done this, but the church in America has slid into a complacency where we're waiting for Jesus to return and we forgot the first part of the command Jesus gave. He said, I want you to occupy till I come. And we took that part out. We surrendered. And we backpedaled, and we ran, and we put our head in the sand, me too. And we hope that Jesus will save us from our own foolishness or whatever things we have going on, and we're not staying engaged. Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples. What if the world hates you? He didn't care. He actually told you, it's gonna. But did it change his command? Go into all the world and make 
disciples. Now look, I don't want to lay nothing heavy on you. I do. I'm gonna, it's going to be heavy all day. Sorry. Um, but what I want you to hear, what, what I want you to hear is, look, uh, we have a call. We have a call as leaders and uh, elders in the church who have gone out and developed uh, groups of discipleship, men that they're pouring into. And the hope is at some point to turn those men loose to disciple men and so on and so on. You guys kind of catch a little bit of the idea. But I know a lot of times, listen, a lot of times we do this. We think, well, good. It's about time that preacher did something besides speak on Sunday and, and Wednesday. He's too much time off. Um, and you may be right. But here's an area of discipleship we miss. Fathers, disciple your sons. When should you stop? Yeah. Mothers, disciple your children. Grandfathers, disciple your grandkids. Grandmothers, disciple your grandchildren. We are losing a culture because we are not occupying and we're satisfied with the dwindling of, of faith because we're waiting for someone else to do what God's asked us to do. Amen? He wants this from us. Do you have confidence in Jesus Christ for now? I have confidence that Jesus Christ is going to return. And on that day... Uh, there will be the greatest celebration ever. But do you have confidence in Christ today? Now. For the things that are going on in our world. For the things that are affecting our kids in a negative sense. And we, we all want to find somebody else to do it. We want to find someone else. Listen, I dropped my kids off to Sunday school. So they get discipled. Bible says, fathers, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk in the way, when you go this way or that way, wherever you go and everywhere you go, teach these things to your children. Mothers, teach these things to your children. Grandfathers, somewhere in our walk with Christ, ladies and gentlemen, we surrendered the, gener the next generation and the one after that. We stopped thinking about them and we started just thinking about me. I, I, I want to be able to retire. Anybody here like to retire? Some of you are enjoying retirement. Hallelujah, well done. But the reality is none of that stuff is a call from God. The call from God is to never stop discipling over and over and I'm not going to tell you, start cold calling guys in the church or women in the church and try. But if the Lord gives you an opportunity to be a mentor for someone, disciple them. Do you have confidence in Christ today? We are one generation away. We're old. We are passing away. The Bible has this verse, it, 
I'll try to quote it. If I Usually when I say it, it makes me cry, so I'm going to try not to do that. So, so I, and, I, and I don't have it in my notes, so I can't look and see. But it goes something like this. The summer is past. The winter is come. We are not saved. And the point, even if I get some of it wrong, the point is time has passed and we missed our opportunities to prepare, to do the things God's calling us to do. This letter, this epistle is written for those who are believers, who believe in the Son of God, that we can know and have confidence, 14, and this is the confidence we have toward him. If, he, if we ask anything of us, he hears us. Do you believe God is listening to you? Do you believe? The Bible tells us that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. He is praying for you, and he hears our prayers. But we have grown silent. I think it's Matthew 18 that Phil shared this morning that tells a story about the unjust judge and the Lord tells a parable by comparison and he says, you know, there was an unjust judge, he's no good. He, he takes bribes, he's a lousy guy. But this woman won't stop hounding him day and night to give her judgment for a wrong that was done. And the Lord says, so if that unjust judge, who's no good for nothing, an evil man, eventually will give this woman what she wants, how much more will your Father in heaven hear your prayer? Do you think God wants to give you good things? I think he does. The Bible says he does. Do you have confidence to ask? Do you ask the Lord for the souls of your children or your children's children or your children's children's children? Because we need to have a view that goes beyond our circle right now, an attitude that says, man, Lord, you hear me. And if I know that he hears me in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. Listen to what he said. This is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the requests we have asked of him. He hears us as we ask according to his will. Now, here's the issue we always have. I would like to ask you a question. Do you really want something from God that is not his will for you? Because if you really do want something that's not his will, then there's a deeper issue than prayer. But if you want the things that God wants for you, and the Bible declares God's desires for you are for your good and his glory, right? That he would accomplish. In fact, the Lord values everything in your life so much that the psalmist declares that the Lord God Almighty keeps your tears. You know anybody else who does that? Your tears 
that you've cried in your own pain or suffering or trial, whatever, your tears that you've cried, the Lord God says, I keep them. Your tears matter to me, God says, because he is working in and through you. We can put our hope and our trust in him that he is able, our confidence in him that he hears us. We want to ask by God's will what God wants to do in us and through us. And some of the things that are God's will are obvious, aren't they? I say as a, a father who didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. When I raised my kids, they needed me. But I gave me to everybody else. I gave me to the youth group that I taught. I gave me to the church that I pastored at. I gave me to the teams that I coached. I gave me away in all of those places. And I said, the Lord will deliver my children. The Lord told me what to do. And I did it not. And when we look at the fruit, I have one son that loves the Lord. I have one son who I'm not sure where he's at. And I have one son who's autistic. I know where he's at. He's in the trailer at home. I have all of these things, but I miss the most important part. I helped other people's kids find Jesus. I helped other people get saved. Those are good things. I'm not saying they're bad things. And I hear the words of Christ in it. These things you ought to have done, but not left the other things undone. So hear me. For some of us, that part is gone, and now it's time to turn our attention toward our grandchildren. Some of you are just now starting. I hear them. And it's a beautiful thing. I, I know that everybody doesn't feel the same way I do, but I love hearing children in church. Uh, it's okay. They're children. We're teaching them. I want, to, I want to see them grow up in the care and admonition of the Lord. Don't you? I want them to love Jesus and know him and understand his word. And so we have to be committed to those things. Committed to seeing those things happen. We want to ask these things according to God's will. Does the Lord want your children? Do you know that that is the will of God? Do you pray that? Do you know that the Lord wants you to disciple them? That that's God's will for you? Are you praying that God would give you the strength you need to do it? Do you know that it's God's will, older men, older women, to disciple younger men, younger women? 
Are you asking God to give you strength to fulfill his purpose? Or are we just waiting for Jesus to come back and save us from our mess? Are we forgetting he told us to occupy? He gave us a job to do, a mission to fulfill. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I delight. I want to please you, Lord. I want to say words out of my lips every day that please the Lord. I want to do things in my life every day that please God. I, that want, that's my motivation for what to speak and what to do. Now, I don't succeed all the time. Okay, let's be honest. I don't succeed often. But what I do is I hear what the Proverbs declare. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. And I say, Lord, help me now. Help me use better words. Words that honor you. Lord, help me now to have better actions. Actions that honor you. Because I delight to do your will. Look, erase from our minds the ideas that the Lord's going to send me to Africa and make me be single all my life. Erase that out of your head. Let's just do the things we know, not worry about the things we don't. The things we know. Husbands, are you washing your wife with the water of the word? Husbands, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, are you submitting to your husband and honoring his headship? Will you stand behind his shield as he tries to guide and protect you? I delight to do your will, O Lord. It's my delight to walk in obedience to you. Whatever things we ask, walking in his will. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, listen, says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. See, I'm, I'm doing the easy stuff. Man, I want to I do the will of God. I want to walk in the will of God. Here's the will of God. Be thankful. But that didn't have anything to do with Africa. I know. Crazy. Walk in thankfulness it honors God me and a brother Rick we we wrote letters recently and um, I'm actually going to hand deliver mine on October 7th you did yours yesterday and um, so in this letter this letter was a activity you guys remember I told you about it this letter about releasing bitterness and and walking in unforgiveness and I had had problems with my my dad I would have said I don't have problems but you know I have problems so anyways, we're writing this letter out, and it's, it, is, it is a cool exercise because the letter is not what you think. It is not your opportunity to say all the things you wanted to say but didn't say. It is your opportunity to say the things the Word of God tells you to say. So the first part of my letter was, was asking for forgiveness. So if my dad's watching this, he's going to hear about it before I get there. Um, was asking for his forgiveness because I have not honored my father the way God's word tells me as his son to honor him. 
The second part was for me to tell my father all the things I respected about him. And if my next question was, I don't respect him, then I have to repent of my disrespecting my father, lay down that disrespect, and start to open my eyes to all the things my father did that were worthy of respect. My father cared for us. My father was there. Not always, but he was there. And for the good things that my father did that were respect worthy, I listed them all out. And the next paragraph is telling my father I love him. And if the next thing that went in my brain was I don't love him, then I have to go repent. Because I'm commanded to love my father. And then I wrote a paragraph about all the things I loved about him. When all I can think about is the hurtful things that, they, that occurred in life, I lose perspective of the loving things he did. This exercise is all for me, not for my dad. I hope the letter blesses him, but it's all for me. To then have to go, hey, I love that my dad did this, and I love that my dad did that, and I love that my dad, and I just wrote it all out. That exercise helped me let go of all the little bitter chunks of garbage in my heart toward my dad. I got other letters to write. <laughs> the good news, if you get one for me, you can say, hey, this is a good thing. <laughs> but but as, I, as I do that, this is, the, this is an exercise for me to let all that go and start to see positive parts the good how does your father in heaven see you does he look at you and say you know you are so screwed up so tired of having to deal with all your mistakes in fact i got a lightning bolt i'm gonna bury it in your chest i'm done is that what god does Jude, if you want to say, I need to, I need to memorize the Bible, memorize Jude 24, 25. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his father. How does he present us? Covered in the blood of Christ. And who am I to hold resentment toward another I surrendered that when I came to Christ. I surrendered that when I came to Christ. I don't have that right anymore. I laid it down. I delight to do your will, O Lord. Whatever things you declare, for what is for our good and his glory. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I know sometimes people say, don't quote that verse to me. Well, maybe you should hear it more often. Is life hard? Yes. Did Jesus tell us life would be hard? Yeah. Is there people who hurt you? Absolutely. Have I hurt people? I have. Have other people hurt me? For sure. And we can all wallow in our co-hurtness 
Or we can walk in the forgiveness and the glory of God, recognizing that that hurt that was brought might have been meant for my destruction, but God means it for my good. By the way, that comes from Genesis. That's the beginning of the Bible. Not at the end. God means it for our good and his glory. And the things that we're experiencing and the prayers that we want to be lifting up need to be consistent with God's purposes. Lord, what are you doing? If I don't know what the Lord is doing, I may ask for something, but I don't pretend to know God's will and purpose. I want to understand it, and I want to pray according to it, and I want to submit myself ultimately to him. He's the king, not me. If he wants to burn it down, burn it down. You're my king. If you want to turn it all around, turn it all around. You're my king. I'm your soldier. He is Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of the angel armies, the Lord of hosts. Wherever he goes, I'm with him. And if I don't know what's going on, then just stop and wait. You ever heard of that whole concept, wait on the Lord? Nobody heard of it? Anybody? Yeah, I heard of that, Jackie. Wait on the Lord. That means sit around and watch ESPN until an idea comes into my head. No, that's not waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Is no, nor is it getting on a motorcycle and riding through the mountains waiting for all my problems to wash away. That's not waiting on the Lord either. Waiting on the Lord is an action word that says my energy is focused on him. Like a waiter at a restaurant waiting. I'm waiting on the Lord. Lord, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm reporting for duty. I just want you to know I'm ready to go. Whatever you have for me, I'm, I'm here. I suited up and I showed up. And if you send me, I'll go. And if you don't, I'll stay. Wait on the Lord and allow God to do this perfect work that he wants to accomplish. We want... We want things that are consistent with his purpose. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Hey, God, I'm just here to do what you want. You want to do it? I'm here. You want to do it not? I'm here. Fix my heart. Most of the time when it's that, that's, that's my, that's, that's, that's bitterness. I told you guys last time when we were talking about bitterness, you want to know if you're bitter, when somebody cuts you off, what do you do? Do you go, blessings to you, my child. <laughs> Is it sweet water that flows out? No. How come? Because you've got a root of bitterness in your heart. And if you'll deal with it, it may come out, bless you, my child. You don't know because you haven't started trying yet. You, like me, may have a lot of letters to write. But the point is we're not just waiting for rescue. 
we're actively involved in the kingdom of God. Loving one another. Praying for one another. Having all dependency on the Lord. Now we have 10 minutes. I should have gave more time for this. You ready? If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Everybody understand what that means? Everybody's got it? Because I save a lot more time if I just move on. Oh. Okay. Most of the time when we have a difficult passage, this is a difficult passage. Most of the time when we have a difficult passage, it becomes difficult because we have zoomed into it so tightly we've lost context. Now I'm going to try to help us walk in context and not totally lose our way here. What's the identity? If anyone sees his brother, who's this book written to? Believers. If you see your brother committing a sin, not leading to death. Now that's confusing. What does Romans 6.23 say? For the wages of sin is, well, that is confusing to me. It's not confusing to you? There's a sin somewhere that you can do that doesn't lead to death? Yes. And there is a sin elsewhere that does? Uh Uh-huh. That's what John said. John's not wrong. So if it messes with my system, I should probably lay my system down and take the words for what they're saying. So if all sin leads to death, according to Romans, or all sin, the wages of all sin is death, what is it that he's talking about? On Wednesday nights, we usually study our way through the Old Testament. The Old Testament becomes the groundwork for the New Testament. And so if we want to understand the things, sometimes it's helpful to have a grounding in the whole word of God, right? Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. This was his declaration, I believe it was to Ephesus. His declaration to Ephesus, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He hadn't finished writing the Bible yet. He wrote 13 epistles. What part of the Bible you think he was talking about? I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. How about this one? In Timothy, he wrote, all scripture is God-breathed. He hadn't finished writing it all yet, but a great portion of it was completed. Yeah, he's talking about the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs. A lot of people don't like the book of Proverbs because it, it, it can be confusing. So I'm going to give you a key to the book of Proverbs today. And I think a key to what we're looking at right here. You ready? Book of Proverbs tells the story of two roads. The road that leads to death and the road that leads to life. There are two women who head each road. One is the immoral woman and one is Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom spends her time bidding all who will hear, come, follow me. 
the immoral woman just bids you come sleep with me. One is the path of death. The other is the path of life. Proverbs tells us there is the way of the fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. He follows the immoral woman on the path of death. The wise man, he knows there is a God. He hears Lady Wisdom beckon him and he follows the path that leads to life. John, as he's writing this epistle, has already told us that there are false teachers who are eroding the eternal security of the believers that were gathered there, the, the, their, uh, their security and eternal life, the promise that Christ had given. They had eroded that. There were some that were thinking, I don't know if we're doing, if this is right or not. John's writing, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. He just talked about prayer, praying in the will of God for one another. And now he's going to focus on the idea of praying for your brother. Your brother will sin. Yes? If we have to go back to 1 John chapter 1, it's going to take even longer. Right? 1 John chapter 1 says, if you're a brother, you don't sin no more. What do you, what's that mean, Jackie? Well, he means that you're not in bondage to sin any longer. The lost are still in bondage to sin. You won't stay in a lifestyle of sin. If you do stay in a lifestyle of sin, you have not surrendered to Christ. Because when you surrender to Christ, he transforms you. So this brother, he'll sin, but what's the road he's on? Where is it leading? The road leads to life. So will that sin end in death? No, because he's going to do what it says in 1 John 1, 9, which is what? Confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so he's going to walk in obedience because he's following Lady Wisdom. He's heard the words of Christ saying what? Come, follow me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What's my commandment? Love one another. If I love one another, will I pray for one another? Yeah. Should I pray for my brothers in the church? Yeah. What if they're sinning? Yeah. Yeah. John's going to emphasize something. He's emphasizing their prayer for one another. The, the, the core part of the body. Because there were several people who left. And they may be on a different road. Their road may lead to death. Now, we can say there are three major views when we look at this. One is that this is the unforgivable sin, which most people will relate to rejection of Christ. Others will say that this is apostasy, and so we don't pray for those who have apostatized. And I think it's a lot simpler than that. I think it's that complicated. John's saying, look, this, I'm not talking about the people who left. I'm not talking about the people who are sinning sins that lead to death. They got off the road of life. They left. They're out there running headlong into death. I'm talking about you guys pray for each other. If, if you're in a sin, you know a brother's in a sin, pray for him. What if we prayed for him and we did not gossip about him? What if we just stopped gossiping altogether? What if 
nobody knew all the things you were thinking. Okay, if you're married, tell your wife or your husband. But you don't need to tell nobody else. Ever. Anything. What do you need to do? Pray for one another. You're on a road that leads to life, and we need strength these days to make it through. And what does he say? You're praying according to the will of God, and so God will grant life. Isn't that what he said? He says, if you pray for that one, pray for that brother. Listen to, the, listen to what he says. If you see your brother sinning a sin, not leading to death, he will ask, and God will give him life. God will give him life. What's the core way that we are able to walk through this world? What did he begin with in 1 John chapter 1? The word of life. What is the path we walk when we follow Jesus Christ? The path of life. So if your brother is caught up in sin, you need to pray for him so that God will grant him life. This is the will of God. It is the opposite of that guy's such a dirtbag. Can you believe what he did or said or allowed? Or, oh my gosh, you, you're kidding me. I'm going to call Mary Sue and John Paul Getty or something. And I'm going to tell somebody else. I can't believe this stuff that I heard. What is John saying? He's saying, look, I'm saying for the one another, for those who are on the road of life. This is what I think he's talking. I think this is contextual. Pray for each other. Now, he doesn't say, thou shalt not pay, pray for those guys. He said, I'm not talking about those guys. I'm not talking about praying for those. I'm, this is not what I'm not saying, pray for them. I'm saying pray for each other. We spend all our time in prayer, praying for things that maybe John would say, uh, put that lower down on your priority. Are you praying for one another? Are you lifting up one another? Look, I get tired. I get tired. I walked up to the board this year and I says, I think I'm going to take a sabbatical. Well, I only took three weeks, so it wasn't so bad. And God did a lot of things, but I need prayer. So if I'm feeling weak, how many of you guys are feeling weak? If I feel discouraged, how many of you guys are feeling discouraged? If I'm feeling all of these things and I'm struggling in all of these ways and we all want to try to pretend we don't have it, we do have it, but what's the problem? We aren't praying for one another. In the will, it is the will of God to give us life who are on the path of life. But he asks us, pray for each other. I want God to save the lost too. But there will not be a worker in the field to save the lost if we don't pray for one another. They always have the alarm set for me. That's perfect timing. <laughs> yes, that, I'm not anywhere close to being done, so hold on. Maybe I should be. We want to pray for one another. Now, there are times where God says, stop praying. He says, stop praying for them. Stop praying for them. In the book of Jeremiah, three times the Lord says for Jeremiah to stop praying for the people. 
He says, as for you, do not pray for this people or lift a cry or prayer to them. Do not intercede with me. I will not hear you. He says, Jeremiah, stop praying for the people. Jeremiah eleven fourteen. Therefore, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or a prayer on their behalf. I will not listen when they call me. Jeremiah 14, 11, the Lord said to me, do not pray for the welfare of this people. Three times God's prophet was told to stop praying for the people. There is a time when God says stop praying. But he never says to stop praying for the brethren. Stop praying for the brothers and sisters you worship together with. He'll never say that. Because in these days we're in, we need strength. You remember the story of Moses? Watching the battle and he would hold his hands up and as long as he held his hands up, they were winning. You guys remember? But battles take a long time. You ever try to just hold your hands up eternally? When you're, if you're doing singing, worship, don't your shoulders hurt? Mine do. And I start whining in my head. Oh my gosh, this hurts. And then I say things like, okay, Lord, I'm going to suffer for you. <laughs> it's all dumb. That's all dumb. The, the Lord wants your heart. He don't care what you're doing with your hands. He don't care what you're doing with your hands. He wants your heart. But Moses needed help to keep his hands up, right? So people came alongside, didn't they? And they held up his hands. And we, we use that story to say, oh, you got to hold up the hands of your, of your pastor. And hallelujah, I won't lie, I need help keeping my hands up. But listen, you need to hold up the arms of one another. You need to be there for each other. A lot of COVID going through Calvary Chapel Buell right now. Everybody who didn't get it last year is taking their turn this year. A couple for the second time, so we do have some who have now had it twice. And it's interesting, all this is going on, my wife's watching all these crazy things, and she comes to me and she goes, hey, will you get vaccinated? Oh, my gosh, you're kidding me. You, <laughs> sorry, I'm about to lose. You are, I, there's no, this is, she just, she does what Kathy does. Kathy learned a long time ago, she, she will never nag me into nothing. And I have this willpower that just does not want to obey anybody. The Lord has been pounding that nail with the biggest hammer in, for 40 years. So she just looked at me and said, if I ask you, will you do it? And I said, yeah. You want me to get a shot, I'll get a shot. I don't care. So I'm, I am now one of the vaccinated. <laughs> so when the zombies come, I'll be one of the zombies now. And I don't know what's going to happen. I told you guys last week, I don't care. If you come and you want to wear a mask, please come. Worship God, wear a mask. You don't want to come, you want, you're worried about it, then it's okay. We still love you. You want to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. You don't want to, don't get vaccinated. 
Honestly, it does not matter to me at all. It never did. But we ought to be loving one another, praying for one another, holding up one another's hands. Because these days are evil. And this world is in opposition to God. Isn't that the very next place John goes? Just look at it and we'll, we'll wrap everything up. We know everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. Jesus Christ protects him. The evil one does not touch him. Look, we know we, don't, we can't live in sin. How can we have died to sin, live any longer in it? So when I sin, I confess it. I don't excuse it. I just confess it. When, when I've offended a brother, I want to be able, when confronted by a brother who's been offended, to be able to just say, forgive me. I don't, I'm not making excuses for sin. I want, to, I want to deny all of that. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Is there a real enemy? It's not the person sitting in the chair next to you or in front of you or behind you or sitting in the church down the street or two churches down the street. doesn't make any difference. They're not your enemy. The whole world lies in the power. That word lies is the word katai. It means there is no resistance, no struggle, no attempt to throw off Satan's control. That's the world. The world ought to be like the world. We should expect nothing else. The church ought to be better. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26 says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. You should all probably write this down. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Gosh, I, I, I hate those words that are so all-inclusive. Not quarrelsome. You, guys, you caught that, right? The servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil. What way are we to endure evil? Patiently. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. Oh my goodness. The Bible tells us how we're supposed to do this stuff? Yeah. For God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Because the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. How do we do battle with it? We just told you. My little children love one another. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. That's Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we are in him. Unless you are in Christ, you are not saved. You have to be in Christ. We are in him who is true, his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What was the way to life? Jesus Christ, right? Two paths. What path are you walking? He closes out, my little children, keep yourselves from idols. Anything that will come between us and the Lord. Man, we... 
have so much work to do. And we need to repent of the attitude that says, well, Jesus is coming back and he'll fix it all. And I have no responsibility here. Repent of that. Jesus is coming back. Don't twist my words. I see it on Facebook. I'm going to come find you. <laughs> You're safe. I'm not on Facebook. Um, Jesus is coming back. That's not what I'm saying. Don't use that as an excuse for complacency and laziness, not being who God's called us to be. And you want to affect our communities, our families, and our world, then we better start having a vision that goes beyond when can I retire and starts to look at what is it that God is asking me to do now. And a really easy one is to pray for the brethren that God will give us life and that we might spread that life to a world that needs to hear it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we can gather in this place. Lord, we want to honor you, glorify you, magnify your holy name. For you indeed are worthy to be praised. Lord, we want you to empower us as your church to be the men and women you're calling us to be. No matter what age we are. You can be a child and be discipling a friend. You can be young and have a word of encouragement for someone who's older. You can be older and have a word of encouragement for someone who's younger. God, you called us to have the kind of community that we all really want but we're afraid to do. But you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. You have not given us a spirit of bondage. You've given us a spirit of freedom. Lord, you want to move in these days. You want your church to stand strong in the face of opposition. And opposition is coming. Lord, you are calling us. You, you brought us to be during this time. You, just like Esther, are whispering to our ears. You are here for such a time as this. You are the right person for this time. You are the right husband for that wife. You are the right wife for that husband. You are the right parent for that child. You are the right mentor for that disciple. This is your time. The Lord wants his people ready to move in the attitude of gentleness, peace, all bitterness driven away. 
that the love of Christ might pour out of our hearts to one another and then to a world that is starving for truth, for real love, not the stuff people sell. Keith Green used to say, the world's in the dark, but the church can't fight because she's asleep in the light. So wake us, Lord, from slumber. Grant unto us a heart of repentance to turn from our complacency and to walk in the truth that you have for us, that you, Lord God Almighty, would be glorified in the things we say and do. We lift all this time to you and we give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name.